Do you truly realize how powerful the good news of Jesus really is? Trent Griffith clues us in. The most hated message in the world is still the most needed message in the world. And in a time of chaos and crisis, we as Christians need to be using our mouths to speak into the darkness with clarity and wisdom. The gospel pierces through the political rhetoric. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for all those who will believe, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, black or white. It's the power of the gospel that we all need to hear. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, senior pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. While we live in a day when we see hatred, division, and fighting all around us, and sometimes fear grips our hearts, we might even wonder, could this be the beginning of the end of the world? You know, Jesus addressed that fear with his disciples. We read about it in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Here's Trent Griffith with part two of a message titled, Deconstructing My Fears About the Future. So let's dive into here. And remember, we're just simply going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. We're about two years into this journey now. And as we open up in Luke chapter 21, we're reading about the last week of Jesus' life. And the setting in which we're about to read this is Jesus has made His way to Jerusalem where He will give His life as a sacrifice for sin. And the disciples that follow Him ask Him a question. So picking up in verse 5 of Luke 21, it says this, And while some were speaking of the temple, underline the word temple there in verse 5, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, He says, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one stone left upon another, that will not be thrown down. And they ask him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? As this was happening, it was somewhere around the year AD 30. So this was the 30s, not the 1930s, but the original 30s. And in the year 70, in the 70s, the Romans came and conquered Jerusalem, they destroyed this temple just as Jesus said would take place. So just 40 years after Jesus predicted it, it happened exactly as it unfolded. And that was the first sign of the coming of Christ. And here's the second thing he mentions in verse 8. He says, And he said, See to it that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am He. He's referring to the prophesied Messiah from the Old Testament. And apparently there's going to be imposters that are going to pretend to be substitute saviors. That's the second sign that Jesus refers to here as a sign of His coming, His parousia, the kingdom is coming near when you find people offering to fix it. Here's the third sign. It's mentioned in verse 9. And when you hear of wars and tumults or conflicts, 
Do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, and the end will not be at once. Verse 10, And He said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The third sign of the second coming of Jesus Christ is ethnic conflict and clashing political kingdoms. We see this very familiar phrase, nation will rise against nation. The word nation there in our English translation is actually the the Greek word ethnos. Another way to translate that is one ethnicity will rise and have conflict with another ethnicity. Those of different ethnic backgrounds will have trouble getting along and they will exercise injustices against one another and there will be hate and there will be conflict. And Jesus says that's a sign of the times. And then he mentions these kingdom and those are more political kingdoms, maybe more geopolitical, you know, with geopolitical boundaries. And and that's where we Think about actual nations and and people groups that are actually invading and conflicts. And so those things not only will be the signs of the end times, what I've told you earlier, those have been signs throughout history. It's been true ever since the beginning of history that Cain killed Abel and there was a struggle and a power struggle and a hatred. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And we've seen, obviously, even in these days, this is the biblical definition of racism. Nation against nation. One ethnic group against another ethnic group. The evil of racism has been in the hearts of men since the beginning. It will persist as an evil until the end. And until Jesus comes, we should denounce it, we should pray against it, we should repent of it, and we should long for the return of Christ to completely eliminate it from the face of the earth. But even in these days when we are lamenting nation against nation, people group against people group, understand this, Jesus is predicting that there will be conflict among men until He returns. There's no amount of education. There's not a political solution. There's not a way to be nicer to one another that will ultimately fix what's broken in our hearts that allows us to hate another person and to cling to our power. We need the Lord Jesus to come and come soon. Here's the fourth sign of Jesus coming that He mentions, and it's found in verse 11. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines, and pestilences. Another word for that is pandemics. And there will be terrors and great signs in the heavens. So the fourth sign of Jesus' return are life-threatening pandemics, Earthquakes and famines. Chaos. In case you haven't been watching, the coronavirus has now killed over half a million people in the United States alone. And this is just the cases that we know about. And, and it's amazing that with all of our medical technology and everything we have to protect us, that Jesus predicts that we are still going to be vulnerable to microorganisms that are one billionth of our size that can take our life as much as we'd like to protect ourselves. It's a sign of the end times.
And then a fifth sign he mentions in verses 12 through 19. He says, but before all this, and notice he's not giving these in sequential order. He says, before that, he says, they will lay your... They will lay their hands on you, and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Verse 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. And you will be hated by all men for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish." By your endurance, you will gain your life. So the fifth sign of the end times is the revoking of religious freedom. And that once which was tolerated, the free preaching of the gospel, will no longer be tolerated. And so it's a sign of the end times. Now, up to that point, let me just summarize those five signs for you just a minute. Do you realize what Jesus has just done for these disciples? Remember, they're expecting things to change immediately. They're expecting Jesus to take His rightful place on the throne. They're expecting Jesus to make their lives easier because they're going to conquer all of their enemies. And Jesus just told them, guys, it's not going to be like that at all for a long time. He's basically telling them the way things have always been are the way things are going to be. There's going to be conflict in humanity. There's going to be disease. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be places where there's famine. There's going to be clashing political kingdoms. There's going to be people claiming to be able to fix it. And Jesus is basically telling them, life's pretty much going to continue as it has been because the world's under a curse and it's broken and fallen and you're a part of it. So don't get real comfortable. Life's not going to get much easier. Now there's one more sign here that is yet to happen. As far as I can interpret this, and it's, it's difficult, but notice what he says here in verse 25. He says, There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars... And on earth. So you got things happening up there that are strange, and you got things happening down here that are strange. And on earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And what he's predicting here is that the most predictable things, the most stable things, the things that seem to work like clockwork. The earth revolves around the sun. The moon revolves around the earth. And everything just kind of goes on like it always has. But Jesus is predicting there's going to come a time when something's going to rattle. Something's going to be out of kilter. In other words, there's going to be a destruction or a deconstruction of the created order. And Jesus is predicting something cosmic here. And as far as I know, I don't know that there's a whole lot of changes that have happened in the sun and the moon, the waves. And I don't know if there's going to be mass flooding or there's going to be eclipse or there's going to be something that's going to change the seasons. I don't know. But Jesus says it's going to be different. And He says when you see that, 
Then verse 27 is what we've all been waiting for. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up. When I hear that, I always think of my mom when I was misbehaving. She'd tell me, straighten up. Like I was crooked, right? So that, that's a good sign for us too. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. It's interesting that it says here that you'll see the Son of Man. It's an Old Testament reference that is found in the book of Daniel. Daniel's very prophetic book. Jesus adopted that title for Himself. He's like, the things that you read about in Daniel, that's going to happen. And you're going to see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. Notice it doesn't say He's coming on a cloud. Jesus doesn't need a cloud vehicle to float down out of heaven into earth. What He's referencing here is the cloud of glory that would have been very familiar to a first century Jew because He knew what was written about Solomon's temple. When Solomon dedicated the temple and he prayed, the Scripture tells us, that there was a great cloud that saturated the temple. It was so thick that the ministers could not even minister. And it was a picture of the personal manifest presence of God known as His glory. And Jesus says, you remember that picture? What's going to happen when Jesus comes to establish His kingdom on earth It's going to be, once again, the meeting place between God and man. God's space and man's space, once again, is going to be reunified. It's a picture of the coming of Jesus Christ. So those are the signs. Now, listen, people have written so many different interpretations of those signs, and most of it's speculative. Don't ask the Bible to answer Questions that the Bible doesn't answer. We can speculate about those things. My point is this. Any eschatology, any teaching on the end times that creates a sense of fear in you is bad end times teaching. Because notice what he tells us in the application portion. After he tells us what it's going to be like, he tells us what we're supposed to be doing while we wait. The the teaching about the end times is not to predict what it's going to be like when He comes. It's to tell us how we're to perform until He does. How we're supposed to live now. So let's talk about these five things He tells us to do while we're waiting. How are we supposed to live until Christ returns? Number one, don't be terrified. He says that in verse 9. He just simply says, do not be terrified. And then he lists all these terrifying things that we're going to have to see while we're waiting. And that's the paradox, right? As a believer in Christ who has security and a hope of heaven, we know that we're not going to experience the judgment of God. Romans chapter 8 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Those who should be terrified are those that have no assurance that they are in Christ. In verse 18, I love it when he says, yeah, they're going to drag you into prison. Some of you are going to lose your lives. But not a hair of your head is going to be harmed. Isn't that amazing? 
that my soul is secure even though my body may have to endure some pain and suffering. And and I realize I am talking to 21st century American comfortable people. We have climate control in our nice churches and padded seats, you know, and, and we drive to church in our minivans that are, you know, so nice. And, and you know, if, if, if we can't get the right fast food or it takes too long in the drive-thru, we complain about suffering and, and wonder if they saw and they, they recognize maybe we're Christians and they're mistreating us, you know, we're being persecuted. So, listen, the reason why this is so hard to digest for us is because we don't have categories for this kind of hardship. But our other brothers and sisters in Christ that lived through other centuries, like the first century, remember Luke immediately finished his gospel and wrote a history of the first century church, and what he wrote was the exact fulfillment of what we read would happen to these believers in Christ. And so we don't have to be terrified. Those that have gone before us joyfully endured suffering. Now, if you've been saturating your mind with prosperity preaching and somehow been told that you know God would never allow you to experience hardship, you're going to have an incredible sense of terror and fear thinking about the future. But if you understand a right understanding of suffering, you're going to be able to endure to the end. The second thing Jesus wants to do while we're waiting is don't be silent. Look here at verse 13. He says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how you would answer, for I will give you a mouth. Some of you haven't been using your mouth to communicate the right message. He says, not only do you get a mouth, you get wisdom. It's very dangerous to have a mouth if you don't have wisdom. So he's going to give us both. So we get a mouth full of wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Listen, the most hated message in the world is still the most needed message in the world. And in a time of chaos and crisis, we as Christians need to be using our mouths to speak into the darkness with clarity and wisdom. The gospel pierces through the political rhetoric. The gospel is the message that speaks truth to power structures. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for all those who will believe, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, black or white. It's the power of the gospel that we all need to hear. The gospel calls both progressives and conservatives to repent of sin. The gospel does not just create well-behaved, law-abiding citizens that are nicer to one another. The gospel pierces to the heart and exposes pride that actually fuels the hate and the clinging to power. The gospel exposes pride and self-righteousness. The gospel offers hope to a world that has nothing that can fix it. Therefore, use your mouth and do not be silenced. This is your opportunity. When things are at their worst, Jesus says... And don't just speak about injustice on a human level. Use your mouth to speak about the ultimate 
act of injustice in all of human history. Do you know about this? Do you know about it? One day, God the Father treated God the Son as if He had committed every act of injustice. On the cross, God put the weight of my sin on the neck of Jesus and suffocated Him to death. And because He was treated as if He was a racist, God can treat me as if I am as holy and righteous and just as His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we call the doctrine of justification. And all justice is rooted in a proper understanding of what happened on the cross. That all those who will repent and believe of any sin, any crime, any hatred can be declared righteous because Jesus was declared guilty. Have you been declared righteous in Christ? By faith, have you received justification? That is the gospel message. That is the mouth of wisdom that the world needs to hear. So don't be silenced. Thirdly, don't give up. Look at verse 34. I'm skipping down a little bit here. Verse 34 says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, that that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the earth. He tells us to watch ourselves. Watch your behavior. Watch to make sure you don't start making stupid decisions. He mentions here dissipation. The word dissipation means to throw off all restraint. It means to become a consumer of anything that would satisfy, any that would trigger and hit inside of me and release some pleasure chemical. And that would include overeating and overdrinking and, and sex and consuming entertainment and partying. And all of those are signs that you are living for the here and now because you have nothing waiting for you then and there. So watch yourselves, remembering that God is watching you. And understand that there's going to be seasons that are going to feel like a trap. The devil will use all of the temptations of this world as a trap so that he can grab you as his prey. Don't fall into the trap of living for here and now. Understand the soon return of Christ. Number four, we need to uh, don't wait too late. Don't wait too late. Verse 36 says, Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He says, Wake up. Now, if this message and this passage has created a fear in you, it could be that you are you're still asleep. You're like I was. When, when I was um, 15 years old, I was an unbeliever, didn't go to church, never read my Bible. Someone invited me to go to a citywide evangelistic crusade. I went to the very last night, even though I was invited every night. I walked in to that rodeo arena in Lawton, Oklahoma. I sat there and listened for an hour and a half to a man named Bailey Smith preach this passage of Scripture. 
At the end of that time, actually about halfway through it, I'm thinking he needs to get to the invitation because Jesus could come at any minute and I do not want him to be preaching. I need to get down there. I need to give my heart, my life to Christ. I need to wake up to the reality of the soon return of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that Jesus is teaching all of this as a warning so that you won't procrastinate, giving everything you have, your sin, your shame, your future, your life, your wealth, your family, to Him as your Savior. Please hear me. There will be no escape from the judgment of Jesus after the return of Jesus. And He is coming soon. So come to Jesus before Jesus comes in judgment. Return to Jesus before He returns to earth. And in your heart of hearts right now, you can surrender to Christ. And if you will, pray as it says, praying that you may have strength to escape. The reality is you have no internal strength. You need a strength that comes from the outside in the justification of God to enable you to believe that Jesus is the Christ and the coming Savior of the world. If you've never done that, turn from your sin. Turn from every other substitute Savior. Put your faith in Jesus Christ so that you can escape the coming judgment upon this world like I did in 1982. He finally did get the invitation. I was the first one down the aisle, stood there, didn't know what was going to happen next. A man took me back in another room and he opened his Bible and he showed me how I could confidently trust Christ as my Savior. If you've never done that, do that right now. He's coming soon. Pastor Trent Griffith has been challenging us to think carefully about our eternal destiny. He'll be back in a moment to pray. If the Word of God has been stirring your heart today, let me encourage you to talk to God about it. Tell Him that you want to come to Jesus right now, today, before He comes back. You know, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation and you don't want to put it off. Tell Jesus that you know your sins are keeping you from that eternal life that Trent was talking about. And thank Him for taking your punishment so that He could give you life. As a next step, why not get to a gospel preaching church and let others know what's going on in your life? You need the support of other believers in order to grow. And if you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you at Gospel City Church. Trent Griffith is a senior pastor there, and it's a place full of people who want to love Jesus more. For more information about when and where we gather, just go to mygospelcity.org. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook by searching for Gospel City Church. Now, here's Pastor Trent to close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for courageous men like Luke that wrote it down. Thank you for apostles like Peter and John and those that lived out incredible times of persecution so that we could have a copy of your word. And today, even through the means of technology, we await not only to meet together, we wait expectantly to meet with you. I pray right now for a friend 
that may be listening, maybe somebody I've never met, would you enter into the private places of their heart? Would you convict of sin? And God, would you create a great expectant hope of forgiveness? Thank you for becoming our substitute on that cross. We long for the day when you will come and take your rightful place as King in a new heaven and a new earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.